in your ears who talk about beers um i've lost count of what episode we're up to at the moment but it's about 96 i reckon uh maybe 97 travis's face gives me no clues other than the fact that he's similarly unclear uh awesome effort to uh to get this far nearly 100 episodes it's going to be something special when we get there um we're joined tonight for a very special online meet the brewers with hop nation but before I ask Travis to introduce the guys and to lead us into our first beer, um, just a little bit of a, an update on some of the things that we've got going on at the moment, particularly for people who might be joining us for the first time. And I've got a little non-COVID Melbourne lockdown six frog in my throat, so I'm going to have a little cough for a minute, Travis. <coughs> That's better. That wasn't the COVID leaving my body. That was... Um, just the fact that I need a little cough. Um, we've got some fantastic events coming up in the cool room in the next couple of days and the next couple of weeks. Uh, we've got our first ever online trivia quiz, which involves some uh, blind tastings. And we've also got a visit from Deeds next week. So we've got a tasting pack that covers all of those things that you can buy in our Shopify store. Um, perhaps even more excitingly than that, we did our first ever double podcast uh, drop in a single day last uh, about 48 hours ago, where we uh, put up the episodes that we recently uh, had with Carwin, uh, Carwin Sellers and their Furious Five, the guys from Forward Hops in WA who imported the beers for uh, that magnificent pack. And then, uh, just as excitingly, we were joined by Mark Osborne, uh, who's the owner and chief brewer from Adroit Theory uh, in the US. It was 5.30 in the morning US time, and he jumped on his Russian Imperial uh, stout and talked us through that. Uh, really an exciting time. If you haven't heard those episodes, please go back and find them. Uh, it's a great reminder that one of the best things you can do to help uh, us as a little podcast is to subscribe in your favourite podcast uh, provider uh, or just find us online at Podbean uh, and to share the fact on your social medias that you're listening. Um, we don't have the capacity to spend oodles and oodles of money like some of those enormous US podcasts do, uh, but we're building a really awesome little following and um, we really appreciate everyone who helps to spread the word about what we do. Um, the final little note about spreading that word is to, uh, again, jump on that email list, uh, email us at coolroompodcast at gmail.com, and that way we can stay in touch with you every time we've got a new pack coming out. Uh, we've got a monthly subscriber pack coming out for September. Some awesome Australian brewers, uh, local Melbourne brewers, a little bit further flung Australian brewers, and then some uh, absolutely exciting new to Australia international brewers as well. So uh, that way you guarantee you get the packs. You don't have to think about it. And I don't have to think about knowing that I can just come out to your house and drop something tasty on your porch. Um, that sounds like a really terrible euphemism. Uh, Travis, um, I'm going to hand over to you before I say something that we'll all really regret. 
Um, thank you, David. I uh, hope everyone's having a great evening tonight. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, we're still in lockdown six, whatever it is, and we're on episode 90, whatever it is. So yeah, we're, we're doing okay. We're doing good. Um, we got the guys from Hop Nation in tonight. Uh, we have uh, Baz and Paul joining us uh, who are in the Zoom room with us right now. Um, remember, if you log into the Zoom room when you buy the pack, you get to sit around and have a few drinks after the recording as well. Uh, welcome, guys. How are we? Very good, thanks. Thanks for having yeah, us. Not too bad. Good to hear. Good to hear. We are going to get things kicked off talking about the organic lager very soon. But uh, before we do, um, can you guys paint us a bit of a picture on the brewery, where you are? Um, what are you guys all about? Uh, we have a lot of uh, interstate listeners and international listeners that may not have heard of Hop Nation. It's a good way to uh, to give them a bit of an image in lockdowns to uh, describe uh, what you guys are. Yeah, so Hop Nation um, started in 2014 um, and, uh, by two ex-winemakers, Sam and, and Sam Hambor and Duncan Gibson. Um, they met, obviously, out uh, winemaking and they decided they wanted to start a brewery. Um, initially, they started with the sort of gypsy kind of model with um, out at Cavalier, which is pretty similar to most Victorian breweries like Dainton and um, Kaiju. Um, and they were getting their beers out um, from from there initially. And the initially what they wanted to do was have beers that would express different certain regions. So they had a um, like a Kiwi Pilsner, they had an American um, IPA in an Australian Pale Ale. Um, since then, that as they were sort of growing and they're developing the brand, they were kind of conflicted about actually going down that route um, because they wanted to mix different hops and uh, different beers and things like that. So um, that sort of changed what the kind of idealistic kind of styles of beers that they wanted to make still hop forward. Um, and then in 2016, um, they acquired a site in Footscray uh, where we are now. It's like in, in an industrial state where um, previously we were surrounded by um, fisheries, uh, there's uh, seafood wholesalers and oyster wholesalers. And they got a um, like a 15 heckle, 1500 litre two vessel brew house system um, and operating out of here uh, with a tap room as well. So it's been going from like strength to strength and developing new beers and 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 are now sort of well, five years later, or since 2020 last year during the sort of the initial part of COVID, we acquired a production facility down in the Mornington Peninsula, which uh, used to be ex Mornington Peninsula Brewery. Um, and then since they've been acquired by Tribe, tribe breweries and now we've been um, brewing beers out of there for the past for the past year uh, in the interim we had also launched a mixed fermentation brand called site fermentation and then also a site wine series so um, a series of wines with the boys getting back into sort of their roots and making um, different wines based on different areas um, uh, around Victoria and also we have a a small vineyard plot down in the Mornington Peninsula as well, um, based where Kerry Greens are uh, behind Paringa Estate for those Mornington Pinot buffs. Um, and 
Yeah, so we're just going from strength to strength. The we're still mainly most of our clean beer production is still out of uh, Mornington, and then now we have re sort of purposed our Footscray um, site to be the home of our um, barrel program, our mixed fermentation program, and hopefully soon in the next coming months we will have a still um, coming in, and we're going to be going into um, spirits. So. A lot of um, a lot of juggling different products. So you basically have you know a, a full booze portfolio. This is um, awesome. So we love a good scoop in the cool room, and I think you've given us our earliest scoop in any ever episode. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm well and truly into that. Living just around the corner, so it's uh, <laughs> um, yeah, be a long time coming. Sorry, but yeah, it'll be a long time coming before that yeah. happens. But yeah, I don't plan on moving anytime soon. So. Okay. We're all good. Yeah. Um, before we sort of kick off talking about the beer, um, can each of you guys, and maybe we'll start with you, Paul. Uh, what's your your role within the brewery? Yeah, so I'm the I'm the production manager, so I look after all the, basically the beer production side of um, of the business. I work closely with um, Duncan for the sour beer stuff, and Tim, who's kind of like a QA slash head brewer down in Mornington, and. So oversee, I like, I mean, I've been working for the boys for about three years now um, since we've been making beers out of here and, and um, since we've taken on the site down in Mornington, kind of uh, managing that and also just making sure everything's running smoothly and, and getting all the tools as well, which has been really good. Um, just sort of keeping, uh, keeping an eye on everyone, making sure everything's going well and, and, uh, and the beers are coming out to how we, you know how we expect them to be um and then hopefully once we start revving up here as well just sort of overseeing a bit of that as well but um i'll probably hand to baz to to, to tell everyone what he does yeah so i look after um i'm a state manager for the uh, sales side of uh, hop nation so i look after a sales team in victoria and uh recently started to spearhead uh, taking our own distribution in South Australia. Uh, so pretty much just managing um, people like uh, y- yourselves, how we sell beer to you guys for podcasts. We sell beers to uh, bottle shops and um, bars. Uh, obviously, that's been a little bit uh, affected at the moment with uh, bars being closed, but um, we're still going all right. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Um we, uh, we're kicking off with the organic lager tonight. Um, this, I, I love this beer. This is my, probably one of my go-tos. Um, give us a bit of an insight into the, the process. How did this beer come about? Uh, the initial, um, the initial reason for us because we had a lot of interest in, in creating an organic beer, um, like a certified organic beer. And we thought, at the time that I think the sort of a lower alcohol lager would, would be a good representation of that. Um, it's basically just one malt, one hop, um, really like properly made. And it was initially we were kind of, uh, we, weren't, no, we weren't worried as such, but we were curious to see how the following would be. And since we released it, it, it has gone quite well um, with the advent of, building the new facility down in Mornington. We've, we've upgraded our brew house capacity, but also like the ability to do different techniques and 
do different mashing regimes and stuff like that, that will aid in producing lagers, which we've always really loved doing. But on the previous system that we had here at Footscray, it was a little, we, we, it wasn't as precise. Um, so now that we have all the, like we've got steam jacketed um, mash tons and we've got the ability to do decoction mashing and things like that. So um, lagers was a really natural fit um, down at that site. And we've, we've, you know, as brewers always tell you, like we, we love drinking sort of IPAs and making those, but a real, a real sort of test of our metal is making high quality lagers. So um, this was basically a 4%, like super pale, um, clear, crisp um, lager that we use with a sort of a, a German yeast strain. We use uh, Wyman organic bioland pilsner and we use um, organic New Zealand Motueka hops. Um, they're a sort of they're in the they're in the SARS family, but you know, a bit more New World, a bit more like lime zest, um, add a bit of the citrus note, and it kind of brings it into a, a bit more of a kind of a New World kind of a style. And that was yeah, basically kind of the crux of the beer itself. And over time, we have made tweaks to the beer, much like pretty much all of our beers. But I think we're really happy where it sort of lands at the moment. Really easy, really approachable, but nuanced and um, delicate enough to be able to appease pretty much any any beer drinker. And and you've emphasised on the the organic side of it. It's you know it's right there in front of you when you go to the fridge and you purchase the beer. Um, this is probably a question for you, Baz. How important do you think uh, that is to the marketing of this beer? Uh, we just say like there, there's a lot of lagers on the market already. So um, we wanted to make a lager and we wanted to make it good. But I mean, you can put any lager in the fridge that says lager on it. And how you, how are you meant to say to someone, this is a good lager? So organic, I mean, it's got that name of quality. And we wanted to make a quality lager from the beginning. So if uh, we, we went down that road of making a certified organic, which, it, which wasn't easy, we have to get audits every year and use um, certain pro certain ingredients to get that certification. So um, it was just another avenue that we could use for, for yes, for a marketing point of view, but also the quality of the product um, is outstanding within itself. Okay, nice. And, and, uh, Paul, how did that? Um, what are the challenges for the brewing crew crew with doing this? Like Paz just said about the auditing every year and that sort of thing. How's that all sort of come about? Yeah, that's it's 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 pretty involved. Um, so, as part of like the ACO certification requirements, you are required to house your your malt, your raw ingredients in separate areas to your. Well, I wouldn't say tainted, but like you. I didn't realise that. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really. Um, so we have to have designated areas in which the organic malt sits and the hops sit. So we, we to avoid, oh, we're not to avoid it, but to get a, uh, to make it easier, we have our hops, we order in large amounts. We get them air freighted directly from New Zealand. So for every warehouse that a product will go through, that, that warehouse needs to be organic certified. They need to have the same measures in place and so on and so forth. And then same with the malt, we will just order purely per per brew length um so that's that's like it's more sort of an administrative challenge um also they generally are limited in supply they're not something that they send over regularly so we get the malt from germany um and we get the hops from new zealand so 
we tend to make sure that we know exactly how much we're willing to make for that year and we will um, forecast you know as what is required um, the audit yeah so every year we get audited they come down and they say to you prove us where was this batch where can I, can what yeah sorry. Say, uh, who, who are the that would i sort of have visions of the people i see at farmers markets on a sunday morning um frundling in with their sandals and their you know cardigans that they knit out of dog hair but uh, are you get you know, who, who certifies things organic and yeah, my apologies a... to everyone i've just offended no they're they're a government-run agency um so i think in the beer industry because we because it's a, a product that's alcoholic so it's quite it's quite you know there's not going to get any sort of funguses and um, pathogens or anything like that coming into the beer so it's quite safe um, so generally our audits are quite quick. They're just making sure that our supply chain issues are all in, um, all intact and we can track bashes and things like that. I mean, for the malt, maybe probably the malt might be the only one, but, um, it's free of herbicides and pesticides, which are pretty heavily used in grain agriculture. So, um, you know, you can get sort of bugs and other sort of, um, outside critters that might, may get into your processing and things like that. So it's minimal intervention, but, um, I guess at the end of the day, the end product is pretty safe and um, getting that accreditation is fine. It's, it's, I think from a, an administrative level, it's a bit, it's a bit more difficult. Just uh, back to sort of the sales side of things. Did When you decided you were going to do the organic lager, was organic automatically going to appear on the can? Was this, was this always part of the plan? And if it was... How have you found, um, you know, it's it's clearly become one of your 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 big sellers. What would what was the public response to it in the in the tap room as well as in bottle shops? Yeah, it actually um, surprisingly it took quite a, a while for it actually to get off the ground. Like most of our beers, especially when we bring in a core range product beer, comes in as a limited release, and then we kind of eventually bring it into a core range. Um, that's what most of our stuff has kind of done in the past besides our like our main ones that we've had from the beginning um, whereas with organic it was the first kind of beer that we said hey this is like this is destined for a core range it's always going to be a core range and that's what we want it to be um, so it was it was a little bit um, stranger uh, coming from that aspect because it was quite slow in the beginning, but now it's it's pretty gone. It's gone gangbusters now, which is which is great. But that organic from the beginning, um, we we always knew it was, that was our kind of left field kind of. That's what we were angling at. So nice, nice. Um, we're I mean, I'm smashing through this. I don't know how everyone else is going. So we're gonna we're gonna get through this one pretty pretty quickly. It's super clean and crisp and. I'm pretty sure most people that are in the Zoom room tonight uh, have most likely had it before, whether that's at the tap room or in their local bottle shop. Um, it's it's a perfect lager. Um, you guys uh, recently, recently in the last year, I guess, uh, decided you were going to do another lager, um, which we don't have in the pack tonight. But yet again, most of the listeners out there have probably picked themselves up a can. There's already been some chat about uh, the Rattenhound in the 
in the Zoom chat tonight, so everyone's sort of aware of it. Um, they're, they're huge fans of it. I think most of us are huge fans of it. Yeah. Um, for for, for what, those not playing at home, Travis, do you want to explain what uh, Paul's holding up at the moment? Oh, look, see, I didn't even see that. Uh, Paul is holding up his ABA uh, award tag for this particular beer. So uh, it's, it's yeah. Give us a bit of an idea, guys. How did this beer come about? Uh, yeah, it's readily available for those that are listening after the fact. You can pick it up. Um, what inspired it? Um, it was, yeah, it was, like I said before, we always really wanted to do a perfect beer. Like, I mean, Tim and myself, uh, we're obsessed with Augustina. Um, we really love like German Pilsners and, uh, Tim actually did his, um, Siebel course in the States, but also in Germany as well. And he sort of grew his love for Pilsners there. And we, when we came down to the Mornington site, we really sought an opportunity to be able to, to brew a, a, a German style Pilsner. Um, we also had the opportunity as well during kind of a bit of a slower tank time in during COVID that uh, we could lager. So we could actually give the beer the, the sort of requisite amount of time that it required um, to lager. So we saw, we sought out, um, Duncan Sand gave us the green light, be like, yeah, whatever, whatever you need, just do it. It's awesome idea. Let's, let's give it a go. And um, we, we brewed it and we were pretty gobsmacked actually how it was how well it was tasting and how good it was and we basically drank a lot of it out of the bright tank uh, down there at the brewery um, yeah, cool. and it and we, um it's just we gave you know it's 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 fucking there's several different aspects to it it's obviously the malt and the quality of the malt that we got we've got um wyman uh german four malted bohemian pilsner malt we got all the um acidulated malt we've got the carapils we've got the wheat we've got everything like the um, german highest quality stuff we could get we worked with our friends at bluestone yeast um, saying we wanted a, a fresh yeast uh, propagated for us delivered fresh um, so you know we made a real um real concerted effort to make sure that we're pitching the right amount of yeast and the right specific sort of uh, obtaining that right specific ester profile we also got um, just like noble hot varieties that we really loved. Um, and we went to work and it was amazing. And the process itself, it's, it's a real technical challenge. Um, it requires a lot of attention every day, doing sensory on the beer every day, um, ensuring the yeast is really healthy, um, doing, you know, sulfur checks. And, and then also during the um, chilling the beer, going through the cold side. So ensuring that you're, make sure there's no autolysis or dead yeast cells in the beer whatsoever, um, chilling really gently. And then the lagering is, is a real, real definitive aspect of, of making a, a traditional Pilsner. You, the beer goes from 80 to 100% in like a, you know, maybe a week period that we were, we were sort of tasting our tank going, oh, is it right? Is it right? And then when it was when we get when we got through that like six week period, we were like, yes, that's it. That's exactly how we want it to be. Um, and then when we uh, we don't have a filter, but we have a centrifuge there, so just uh, yeast separation to get like that clarity, the sort of brewing clarity that was kind of already there. Um, and then when we we packaged it and we sent it out in kegs 
um, it went gangbusters. It was it was amazing actually to see how how everyone really took to it, and we were super. It's one of the most proud of achievements I think is us as a, like a collective group. It was our brewery. Like we we sort of nailed it. Like you know, we it's not too often that you really really nail a beer, and we were pretty we were pretty stoked. Yeah. It's um it it the first time I had it, it took me right back to Germany. It was um like a memory type beer yeah. as well as a refreshing beer. Um, Travis, we actually had that quickly. Yeah, if it's okay before you go for it. Um, just before I lose this thought, and it happens all the time, when you brew a beer like this and you think we've nailed this, I how can it be better? Is there a way it could be better? I mean, yeah, I I just don't think <clears throat> people who make great things will ever be completely satisfied. So where could this beer be better? I think um, you, you're quite right. Like there's always room for improvement, no matter what we do, and because we don't have perfect automation. So, you know, everything is at the behest of, you know, the people that are controlling its, its environment. So there will be fluctuations from time to time. I think, I guess what I mean by nailing is like we, I guess we just nailed our brief. Um, there's little like minute things like um, perhaps our head retention and foam stability was, you know, could be improved. Um, do we change the bitteringness or the bitterness, not the bitteringness um, of the beer? Like what's the, you know, like the depth of the sort of the breadiness, like what's the mid palate, end palate like? Um, there's, there's always room for improvement. Yeah. But um, so I guess, yeah, when, when we get to nailing a brief so quickly, I think it's quite good. Was there anything that um, you learned from from brewing that that that, that you were able to then take into brewing the organic lager? Yeah, mainly just that it works. Doing the the sort of the mash regime that we had, um, so we do a full um, temperature mash rest, and then we'll do a, like a decoction rest as well. Um, and then I guess just the fact that that worked and it brought it really lifted the sort of the sort of malt complexity i guess um of the beer and that would translate well into a beer like the organic which is a similarly like a really kind of under modified malt which requires several different mash rest temperatures to be able to like get the proteins and certain enzymes and things like that which help with um with help with head retention yeast fire like yeast health and and fermentability and things like that so um the fact that it did work yeah was, was it was good and was easy to to push across to something like the organic which um i think it sort of translate really well um for for all those listeners out there um and the ones in the zoom room that voice we heard just before was mr warren Wu, who um um has joined us early tonight which is amazing to see warren is going to take us um, through the next beer very soon, which will be the Melbourne Fog, if you don't already have it, have it with you. But bef- before we uh, before we get on to that, um, we spoke briefly about sales just before in relation to the organic lager. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting sidetracked here because David just messaged me in the chat, which you can do in the Zoom room, 
and uh, asking me about a question, which I'm yet to see. So that person should put their question into the Zoom room again so I can ask it. But before we get to that, are Australians more open now to drinking lagers than they were, say, two, three years ago? Yeah, there's definitely a trend of uh, lager coming back into play. I mean, we started to see that right before COVID um, kind of hit us. Uh, we were having like a pretty pretty big lager slash pilsner boom in throughout the craft beer market, which was which was really nice to see because I mean, any brewer or any like anyone that's been in the craft beer game for quite some time loves a good lager. So it's uh, it's pretty much mother's milk. Yeah, nice. Um, I have now seen that question that was asked, and it's actually a really good question. So. Um, Paul, uh, one of the guys in our Zoom chat uh, just asked a question. And for those listeners out there, remember, if you come into the Zoom room on the night, you get to sit down and put your questions into the Zoom room and we will try our best to get through most of them. But obviously, last couple of minutes is seeing that I missed one. Um, do you have any plans to, to do 100% SAS check Pilsner? Um I know who asked that question. <laughs> I thought you might. Um, Damo is one of our uh, staff down in Mornington. He helps us out. Um, I think Lager, I think the success of the Rattenhund set certainly has given us a, probably a little bit more freedom to, to go, oh, okay, let's, let's, let's see if we can take it to the next level. Um, we do have the capability here at Footscray now. We have a... Um, a 3,000 litre foot, I'll, I'll, I'll take everyone out later, um, the, which is glycol connected. Um, so we can do um, open barrel chilled lagering. Um, so yes, doing traditional Czech Pilsners are not off the table, but I guess it's like anything, it, these things take time. And whereas the opportunity arises, we will do it. But um, yeah, we, we're pretty like really keen to, to try things like that. So, yeah. And uh, and the other question we had uh, in the Zoom room, and we're getting through some questions early tonight, which is really good, guys. Keep keep plugging your questions away. So, so Muggs in our Zoom room asked, does uh, putting the beer through a centrifuge have any effect on the beer besides clarification? No, that's a bit of a – initially, I remember, because I actually used to work – down in Mornington when it was Mornington Brewery when we first got the centrifuge and we um, there was a lot of sort of uh, I don't know arguments between brewers about why would you centrifuge a beer you, you know you're spinning out all those beautiful volatile hop aromas and you're kind of damaging the beer but it's actually really quite gentle um, the way that the, the beer passes through the centrifuge so if anything it, it's it's not like filtration where it can strip some of those sort of lipids and um, fatty proteins and stuff like that, which, which aid in the sort of, um, oh, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Aroma and mouthfeel and body and um, head retention and things like that. So centrifuges are really commonplace now. I think, you know, most medium-sized breweries are using them as a, as a way of um, sort of like, I guess, I don't know, but it's not, it's just spinning the beer very fast. Can I ask, as you know, with my sort of novice beer hat on and, you know, speaking of people who are sort of, you know, newer to the craft beer, I mean, how does the centrifuge 
work, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing two things. I'm picturing something really cool at like, you know, the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute. And I'm sort of picturing my mother's old washing machine with holes that are the size of, you know, five cent pieces in there. Um, I presume it's somewhere between the two. Pretty much. Yeah. It's, it's actually not that big of an equipment. We have a tiny one compared to what um, sort of big breweries or even um, what, I don't know, like Coke and soft drink manufacturers might use. Um, so basically it is, it's just a bowl. It's just a, like a conical bowl um, and it runs at about 12,000 RPM. Uh, we pass beer under pressure through it and through back pressure, it will sit in the bowl there. And as it spins really fast, organic material drops out of suspension. Um, we did some trials with GEA, the manufacturer, uh, last year to, we pitched them the idea of, uh, we want to, we're, we're known for our hazy beers and we obviously want to keep turbidity or haziness in the beer, but we also want to drop any kind of hot matter that's coming out of the fermenter to, to, to release any of that hot burn or really stringent hop character. Um, and they, we were conferring with them back and forth for a little bit and we came up with some ideas. So now we actually are able to manage the speed in which the, the bowl is spinning um, to create larger turbidity uh, as the beer is passing through. So for our hazy beers, they all get passed through the centrifuge, but they still remain nice and hazy and it also helps with haze stability so, I mean, everyone's seen the dreaded um, beers flocking out in, um, in the can over like six to eight months, or whatever. This actually enables to drop any of those particles out, which, um, and it is, I think as a result, a lot of our hazy beers have been much more shelf stable over time. That's really, well, that's a great segue. It's like we paid you to segue into the next beer and, um, Warren Wu, you're going to lead the charge into the uh, the next of our beers. Uh, so for people who are particularly listening on the podcast, if you're not already ready to have the Melbourne fog, now is the time to have a little pause on your podcast, finish enjoying the organic lager, and then you can join us back for the Melbourne fog. If you're in the Zoom room, we're going to presume that you're ready to rock and roll. And um, Warren Wu is going to kick us off with a discussion of all things hazy, uh, which, as you correctly note, Paul, uh, you guys are very well known for in Melbourne, probably even much more broader than that. Uh, Warren, let's talk Melbourne Fog. We, I would talk Melbourne Fog, but Jacob in the, in the chat has just asked a question. I thought we, we'd just quickly, I don't know, go back after that beautiful segue. <laughs> We're going to go back. Okay, so regarding the Rutenhund, um, what qualify what 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 qualities does I I see? Ah, I read the wrong. What qualities uh, does the live cultured yeast from Bluestone bring the, bring to the beer? Like, what what were you specifically looking for when you were when you were um, asking Bluestone for that the product? Yeah, so when we when it comes to liquid yeast. It's, it's a bit of a funny one. So for years prior to Bluestone's existence, we were air freighting cold yeast from the States, generally from Y-East or White Labs. They um, didn't have any like propagating studios in the sort of the Southern Hemisphere. So um, we would generally um, order from overseas. And basically as the time goes in, you can't guarantee it's actually going to be cold. So they would actually say, this is the specs of the, the cells and the cell count that we're providing to you, this is a pitchable quantity into 
um, you know, 20 or 2,500 litres of beer and off you go, dump it in and the beer should ferment as per usual. But over time, during that transit, the, generally the cells die off and, and the viability becomes less and less. So, and particularly with lagers, you need a high pitching rate because you, you, you're fermenting at colder temperatures. Um, the yeast generally is in an environment where it kind of doesn't like to be in. So you need to pitch generally about four times the amount. Um, so when Bluestone, when we came to Bluestone about doing this beer, we, we wanted them to propagate a, like a German traditional German Pilsner style. Um, they uh, basically brought it up and gave it to us a, a, at a pitchable quantity. Um, it would, it was about five, six grand worth of yeast. It was quite expensive, but they gave it to us at a discount because um, they were really keen to see how it goes and obviously repitching and all that kind of thing. We've been working really well uh, with them, giving them heaps of feedback, but having that fresh pitch also um, reduces the uh, sulfur production in a lager. So um, generally sulfur, rotten eggs, rubbery, burnt car kind of smell happens during fermentation and it does go away eventually, but it can go away faster if the yeast is nice and healthy. Um, and then also that yeast, um, the buildup of autolysis. So when the beer sits on all, um, dead yeast cells, they kind of, over time, they kind of kamikaze and they produce like a real Vegemite really off characteristic and because the yeast is so healthy um, we have less chance of that happening but we're also removing that um, autolysized yeast during the process too so it's really important actually having a fresh like yeast bank in Australia particularly Melbourne has worked really well for for our pilsners and and we use them for our hazies too so yeah they've been fantastic not to geek out too much on yeast, but I'm going to geek out a little bit more on yeast. How much? <laughs> how much does five grand of yeast buy you? Yeah, like, what does it look? What does it look what like does when it, it arrives like, in yeah, a bucket? How do, like, how does it come? How big is it? I'm assuming it's on a some sort of truck, or maybe a tanker. Who knows? Oh no, just um, it's a four two liter. There was eight liters worth, so it was about four two liter goon sacks. Yeah, and is that, is that how the Germans refer to the measurement as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're kind of you know, appropriate it to what everyone knows. <laughs> um, All right, let's, let's. I'd say we we should let's we get should this back on, on track. The let's get this ship ship back on course. <laughs> um, Having said that, Warren, I'm going to I'm going to distract from the course of the ship for a minute. I reckon I, we might have at least one of the questions that will be asked as part of the trivia quiz on Saturday night. Uh, the nickname of the Rattenhund, uh, which has been put in the chat tonight, I reckon that's a really nice little trivia question. So uh, thanks, Baz, for sharing that. That's going to be one of the questions. Don't share it with other people around social media. Keep that as one of the trivia questions for Saturday night. <laughs> nice. Um, so Melbourne Fog. Uh, we'll talk. We'll also have a bit of a chat about uh, J juice because yeah, there you go. It's you may as well talk all the hazies at once. Um, so, what are we looking at when we drink the Melbourne Fog? What should we be experiencing? What should we be be really keeping an eye on and being kind of impressed with about it? Yeah. So, Melbourne Fog. The brief at the time was we had been pushing out a lot of sort of high ABV uh, hazy beers and we'd done 
obviously J-Juice. Uh, we've done Dreamfeed, which was another 6.5% hazy, and, and then Seven Clouds was the New Zealand hops um, hazy. But we really wanted to look into bringing the ABV down um, to like 4.5% or 4.8%, I believe. Yeah, 4.8%. Um, and we wanted to have something that tap or generally bars that people say, you know, they want a pint of pale ale could have that as an option. So like, you know, our heart pale ale or a, a hazy version, which is sort of emits sort of same characteristics as our, um, our other hazy beers. And so it's, it's actually um, a couple of different tweaks to it, to what we normally do for our hazy. So because it's a low, lower alcohol beer, we generally want to keep it nice and soft. We don't want to be too aggressive with the bitterness, which what our J-Juice is. So we um, did a lower temperature uh, Whirlpool addition. So we're extracting a lot of the hop aroma out of the beer uh, without pulling the bitterness through. We had a little bit of lactose as well because because of lower alcohol, it generally will finish a little bit drier. So we wanted to counterbalance that with a bit of residual sweetness. And we use um, Mosaic, uh, Nelson Sarvan and Laurel. So a mix of sort of green fruit, bit of um, sort of melon kind of characteristic. Nelson's really punchy, has a gooseberry. And when it's really fresh, you can get even quite diesel-y. And then um, Laurel, which is sort of uh, not used typically, but it has a lot of sort of the cedary and lemony kind of characteristics. So we think it's, uh, we want to make something that's really balanced, really light, but also something you want to drink pints of. And that's the ultimate goal, really. Um, given the the success of your other hazies, which have a high ABV and and um, Dreamfeed uh, was in the top 10 of the the Gabs when when it was released, um, and J-Juice has just been around forever, uh, were you kind of concerned that, that Melbourne Fog would take away from some of that, would, would kind of you know, would split that crowd that you've, you've built? Um, yeah, yes and no. I don't, I'm not sure. Like, I think it's a different kind of market that we're probably going to, to sort of appease, I suppose. Um, some people do want to have really big, bold beers that aren't of a sort of a similar ABV and that, like, technically they could be a little bit harder to achieve. Um, we're constantly constantly also just playing with our um, different recipes we're, we're I mean we release probably a hazy once a month in a like a 440 mil specialty that goes into you know different hopping techniques and different hop combinations and stuff like that things that were kind of cool at the time so um, Melbourne Fog initially was rotating between the dream feed and the seven clouds it was sort of like a we will do them bi-monthly and then the Melbourne Fog did really take off, particularly in keg, um, and it became a core range pretty much straight away. So, I think um, where the where the demand is, that's where where we go at times. But um, I don't think we had any concerns about it really kind of eating into any other that our our um, our beers. No, um, you mentioned that that kind of that bitterness and dryness coming through in a low ABV style like this um, was was a little bit of a challenge. Were there any other challenges with, uh, with brewing like a low ABV hazy? Yeah, I think so. It's getting getting hops to be because generally it's when you're working in that sort of six to eight percent range, 
you have the body um, and then you have, you, you're able to sort of push really expressive hops um, through it. And it actually like translates really quite well. Whereas as you lower that ABV, yes, we might have a lactose in there to bring through a bit of residual sort of milky sweetness, but you don't have quite have that body to, to lift it. So, and then when you, when you're dealing with, um, so we use like a bit of a higher mashing temperature. So there's less fermentable sugars. With higher hopping rates, we're getting things like hop creep, which sort of uh, produce um, diacetyl and other things which take longer to clean up. So generally that pushes tank time a little bit longer and um, there's a few just sort of like timing challenges and things like that. So we want to we want to add hops. We want it to be super um, during fermentation, during quite the rigorous part of fermentation, then we want to remove them as fast as possible. So we're not getting that um, hop creep and hop burn and stuff like that, which can occur. And, that, and that's a really off-putting off part of um, hazy beers is, is hop creep and, and, um, and then that hop burn is just gets, gets a bit astringent and a bit gross. I'm just going to dive back. And we're geeking out again, but this centrifuge. So <laughs> both of these, though, I've, I've, I smashed through Melbourne fog. That didn't last very long at all, unfortunately, but I'm halfway through a, a J juice. Um, so both of those went through the centrifuge. Does more crap come out of like, does more of that flock, more of that, that, that kind of matter come out when it's going through, when it's spinning through a centrifuge? Does that, does, is that a thing? Yeah. So like those, those, those yeast strains are meant to sort of stay like in, in solution um, and so by enabling, by removing any of the sort of uh, like hot matter, any kind of dead proteins and stuff like that, by dropping that out of the beer prior to going through the centrifuge uh, works quite well. And then also, and passing it through the centrifuge at a lower bowl speed, it will, it won't, um, hopefully you've chilled the beer for long enough that it's actually, anything's flocked out that is, is not necessarily in there. And and also goes to, to the yeast strain that we use as well. So nice, healthy yeast strain um, will will stay in suspension a lot for a lot longer as well. So it's the centrifuges uh, don't need to get so hung up on it. Basically, it's 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 kind of like a process that it, it helps clean up hazy beers. It just helps remove any kind of organic material and things like that, which would if you weren't, if you might like doing a straight transfer from a fermenter to a bright tank, that might, that might occur. And then when it comes to bright beers in terms of like a pale or a lager, um, if you're lagering correctly and chilling it correctly and you're giving it the right environment, it will, it will pass through basically bright and the centrifuge will clear it up by maybe one or two points of, um, of turbidity. Yeah. Okay. So back to, back to, I'm just going to call it Jedi juice. Um, back to that, and specifically the Jedi, without going into all the gory details. Yeah. Yeah. What was the what? So, so let the listeners will probably be interested in in why J Juice and why the change and how it all all kind of came about and how that has affected kind of sales and what and and uh, and, yeah. and one that and Corey has decided he's still got a four pack <laughs> of Jedi Juice that he's probably gonna i don't know shrink wrap and hide in his safe i still i still have a can of jedi juice uh on my shelf just as a a memento to to the name change yeah yeah so 
sorry yeah the yeah because i yeah i remember being here at the time and it was it was a shock initially we I've, people don't know the story so joe juice was um there's like a, a sort of an alcohol body that thought it was uh a person went into a bottle shop and their child had saw the saw the can i thought it was inappropriately marketing children and then um that regulatory body ceased oh gave us a sort of like a a notice to um, change the change the name of the beer, and we thought initially that it was actually quite catastrophic. Um, we were pretty worried about it because it was outside of the pale ale. It was it was close to about the same volume of pale ale that we that we were doing at the time, and um, it we we still had about a hundred thousand cans in print, so we we had about a year's worth of um, production still allowed to to come out of the jitter and that time like i guess this the the groundswell of kind of anger um kind of uh, uh it kind of like it made everyone a bit angrier and stronger and, and and more supportive of the actual beer itself um we went through it was also during the time going through um approval through the major retailers um so they saw that and they obviously said well we're not going to accept this um so we had to basically rebrand um the beer um initially we we went through a couple of ideas of having the edi um part and you know part of the layer uh, of the eyes um, like redacted um and then also like pixelated parts of the face and the edi part um but uh, we found that was probably a little bit sticking our finger up a little bit too hard and um we got it redesigned and it it's the similarities are pretty obvious um i think those who have had it um who have known it for a long time still call it jedi as we do like i'd say what are you brewing today we're brewing a batch of jedi um whereas new drinkers that are kind of coming into the craft beer scene they just see it as j juice and i think we've been quite lucky that it's um it's kept going so well and yeah i mean it's I, um, me personally, I don't get too wrapped up into it. I don't mind so much, but I, we understand the really like the sort of how polarizing it is for some people and how popular the beer was. Cause I mean, that was the first kind of real cult beer that I'd been a part of and we were extremely proud of it. And then to have a, it, it seems sort of meaningless and benign, but it is, you know, cultural relevance and all that kind of stuff. People are really, really warm to it. So, yeah, initially we were, we were, you know, bricking it pretty hard, but I think it's, it's still the test of time and long may it continue. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, really. So Baz has been lucky enough to just be sitting back and, and spectating. So he can start off. I think answering this question. So I'm going to ask the traditional cool room question. Uh, and that is what is the strangest, weirdest, smelliest, dirtiest, cleanest, whatever thing you have seen in a cool room. And when I say cool room, I say that quite loosely, anything in any hospitality or beverage manufacturing venue. <laughs> Pull back the pull back the curtain and tell us what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, well, I've, I me being from the sales side of things, uh, I, I've walked into uh, many of cool rooms, 
to help people out with their draft systems. But probably for a, I, I probably won't delve into what I've seen in some quorums. Oh no no this is the no no, 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 no please do no, no, please no, do that's the question <laughs> that's what we want you to do. I've seen I've seen um, close to mushrooms growing in some people's quorums uh, on their beer systems and uh, they were, but um, they were disgusting. I think probably for our our quorum in Footscray. Probably one of the weirdest things is probably maybe, jeez, oh I mean, there's been quite a lot of things. We had, we, I think we once had, um, we had about a ton of cherries in our core room once. Um, we've had a, a ton of cherries, yeah. A ton of cherries, a literal ton of cherries. Um, we've had probably about... Uh, 100 kilos of coffee seeping. There's just been a lot of weird stuff that you probably like in a brewery cool room you expect. But have you ever seen anything weird in a in a cool room, Warren? Back to episode 13 when you first appeared. <laughs> Not like a shark. No, yeah, you I had a shark in your one. That's right. So it's. A... <laughs> oh no! Like, and and I've been in hospitality. I've, there's plenty of people who've had sex in a cool room. Like, it's it's just the done thing i think in hospitality apparently can't be that hard to make a shark beer though can it you how hard is it to make a chicken beer david quite hard <laughs> by my ratings in the uh victorian home brewers competition apparently um, <laughs> i feel like we're getting well and truly off track here we should pull it back into alignment i want to know about paul's cool room question what's the weirdest and strangest thing you've seen in a cool room well, yes, I have seen said uh, copulating in a tour <laughs> room. Um, I, Baz is lying through his teeth as well. He has been he he used to work at Beer Deluxe, and oh. that tour room would have seen many of sort of unruly behaviour. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I actually previously was hospitality as well. I I worked ten years managing bars and restaurants uh, in Canberra, and. Uh, a good story, I did think about this, a good story I had was not so much in the cool room, but from the cool room. So I was uh, working at a busy uh, restaurant called Delicio, so as people know, Canberra, it was opposite, it was opposite Bent's Boat before Bent's Boat was there. And it was like a sort of a brasserie, you know, Tapper's Pizza, that kind of joint where we'd serve obnoxious bureaucrats. Um, during, this was during the financial crisis, so they were spending big. And um, we... Well, I was in the cool room or I was outside the cool room uh, having a cigarette as um, we had a very, very drunken um, person. I think it was a homeless person. So inside we had about 100-seater and outside about 80-seater, generally like always packed, really busy, Friday night, and this guy, he was being a menace. So he's walking up and down and we're looking at him from the, from the cool room. We're like, oh, this, this is going to be trouble going to be absolute trouble and with the, the chef that we had there at the time was his name was Gigi and it was a big Maori bloke and he was like on the pans crazy busy night just shouting obscenities and drinking whiskey as we generally did on shift so this guy uh, out front had managed to we were starting to really bother people at the tables and he had thrown an absolute haymaker at this poor lady and knocked her dead flat off her off a chair 
And I'll never forget it. Things went in slow-mo. So generally people around the tables were coming up and about to go at this guy. And Gigi, the chef, had jumped over the pass. Like this is talking about a 130 kilo bloke jumping over the pass and his apron has come off and it's switched around to his back like a cake and he's <laughs> flying out the door. And I'd never forget it. It was the James Brown song. I can't remember the, the song, but it was like, get your back up off the wall. And it was like this funky like tune and he came out and he air tackled this guy and beat the <laughs> living crap out of him. But we just standing there just going, oh my God, did that just happen? And that's, yeah, it was bizarre, utterly bizarre. That's oh. how you tell a cool room story. Yeah, that is. We're going to do a little audio <laughs> clip of that and provide it to future guests. Yeah, that's to, it, yeah. yeah. This yeah. is the expectation that we have for your story. Yeah, one of many, funnily enough, weirdly. The camera was wild at the time. <laughs> but what I like is that you've offended people in the room I'm sure you've never met who are actually... Uh, the kind of Canberra bureaucrats that you wouldn't imagine, but they're joining us, well, maybe not from Canberra, but certainly you know, some of my favourite Canberra bureaucrats are in the room tonight. So we'll see if they fire up after the uh, formal part of the recording is over. We're going to use this as a little opportunity to press pause on everything for a moment uh, so we can go to the fridges. If you've still got your jawbone in the fridge, you probably shouldn't. Uh, and we're going to come back and discuss that beer and have a few audience questions. And um, we'll go from there. Feel free to unmute yourselves while we have a little five or so minute break. And we'll come back at, what do you reckon, Travis? 7.50 Melbourne time? Yeah, that works. Well, we're back in the cool room. It's our uh, already had such a great night with Hop Nation and we're about to move on to the beer that I've been looking forward to the most. That's why I'm the one who gets to ask the questions about it. Uh, I squirreled those ones away for myself. Um, I'm really looking forward to this. Just before we get on to having a yarn about the jawbone, though, just a little reminder, if you haven't already uh, subscribed to the podcast and liked us on your podcast provider, please do so. That makes a huge difference to us. And um, follow Hop Nation on their social medias and follow us on our social media so that you can stay up to date with all of the exciting things that is happening in the Melbourne brewing scene. Um I know at the very beginning, guys, we asked you to paint a little bit of a picture of where the brewery is and how things have moved around over time. Um, Jawbone, I know where the name comes from. It's uh, I was out delivering beers in the wilds of Altona and Williamstown and uh, Seaholm today. But again, for overseas listeners, can you describe this little bit of Melbourne's coastline for us? Because it's it's not what probably people from overseas think of as an Australian beach. It's probably not even uh, something that people in Melbourne necessarily think of, but it's such a, a fundamental kind of space and what we're about to experience in a sensory, uh, you know, uh, idea, I guess, is so based on that area. So can you paint us a little bit of a picture of that to start with, maybe? Well, yes. No, Melbourne beaches are not beaches, um, I think is the <laughs> clear outline of that, first of all. Um, yeah, so essentially the... The, the nature of the beer that we 
came along because it was more of a reflection of the kind of industrial nature of the area what was the the trade through the pit like through this area at the time this footscray uh the footscray site here used to be um a candle making factory which they used to render down whale fat um to create candles um so these are you know lug the, the whales out and then debone them and then sell off the meat and then this facility here is to render the fat to make sort of cos cosmetic goods and if you haven't already tasted the beer it is delicious don't worry <laughs> yeah yeah so the, the jawbone name came actually from the the picture of the original beer that we had was a whale's um a whale's jawbone um so that was kind of the the the, the idea to, for the name at the time and We'd had um, previously whenever we did, because we had, um, so Tim and Terry's next door or opposite us, they have um, left now because the buildings have been demolished for the Westgate Tunnel Project. Um, and prior to them going, we, whenever we did a collaboration beer or whenever we had guests, we would always go around and get freshly chucked oysters that morning and have them with our guests or the breweries that were coming from interstate or internationally and have a beer and one of our brewers um Eli he's he's left us now he's the head brewer at the mill um but he used to work at three boys um in Christchurch and they are really famous for their oyster stout and he um basically designed the beer that we did here um was uh yeah it was uh, oyster stout um and it's very different to well I think uh, like in terms of the stout it's incredibly different um if we go into sort of like the crux of the actual beer itself it's, it's about 10 percent roasted barley which is like crazy um for stouts and then there's a huge amount of um different chocolate malt and a huge amount of wheat uh, um sorry munich malt as well so it really kind of goes against most stout bases but the real the idea of it is that with that roasted barley that acridness and that real astringency the salinity and the umaminess of the oysters really counterbalance um, and it actually works out to be quite quite beautiful and quite complex and um, that was basically the crux of yeah the, how the how the beer kind of came about really yeah can I ask again umami is one of those words that people in hospitality and I guess brewing as well throw around but for people who are new to the whole show you know what what does umami mean? And as you taste this, so people are going to be sitting at home now or listening to the podcast, how is umami going to represent itself in what they're tasting right now if they're drinking this beer at the right temperature? Yeah, so umami is the, the fifth different, sixth different flavour. You have your sweet, sour, salty, fat umami maybe? I don't know. Yep. Um, yeah, so umami is like a uh, typically known in kind of like mushroominess fungi um i think i kind of get that from oysters as well um depending on what kind of oysters you get as well i think that's a really important point actually is that we got coffin bay oysters uh, from south australia so they're more saline -y, uh, a bit cleaner um, not like sydney rocks which are real uh, quite buttery and quite sweet um so yeah i mean that's it's one of the, I'm not very good at explaining sort of different um, like different compounds of flavors and stuff like that, but I get, essentially that was the aim that we went for was was creating the because you get that from um, 
you get that from sort of yeah seafood and stuff we could that it's almost like that well warmth and natural saltiness that you get from almost isn't it without sort of that sort of harshness of an added salt so yeah so we actually use the shells themselves so no no oyster meat was wasted in the, pro- the production <laughs> of this beer um Good there's no hear. way in hell that i would ever allow um the amount of shells that we put in to be have the actual meat in them um but yeah so the the way we actually did it was um we sort of steeped the um the shells in a like a 200 liter stainless vessel and we after the boil um sort of like similar to like a whirlpool edition we basically just passed beer through it and then we had the salt bush in in sort of sterile bags and um the the seawater we added towards the end of the boil so about 20 liters of um seawater as well what's the weight in shells that you put in uh oh it's like two styrofoam boxes a lot a lot yeah so probably i don't know 30 dozen 40 dozen that's a that's a lot of eating of oysters before you put them in there yeah yeah so they they freshly shuck them every morning so they they obviously will go get the oysters in shuck them and then they sell most of them opened to the you know the daily markets and stuff so we just get this the other, the other half and it does a lot of them still have the membrane on there and i i, I like that like that's that fatty kind of grizzly grizzly part that you get in the oh um, the abductor muscle yeah, yeah it's the abductor <laughs> it's there abductor, right. yeah yep. it's normally the sweet i think it's the sweetest part i'm totally with you there yeah yeah so that um and even just the the particulate on the uh, outsides of the shells and stuff like that, the crustiness, the dirt, the it just brings a, you know, they're not they're not clean, they're not sterile, they're just yeah, you get all the grits and all that kind of stuff. It's it's a really cool, it's a really cool exercise in a in a raw material we don't generally get to use. It's it's a little bit sailor's gravish to to steal it from another brewer. There's something quite sailor's grave about doing. That style of this style of beer well i mean yeah that's i mean eli so eli he he we been working three so the three boys it's their cult like i mean the kiwi guys would know that that's a cult beer in new zealand and they've been doing it since their inception i think they've been going since the early 2000s so um it's not a new thing i don't think um it's just and we did it back in 2019 um and we had like we loved the beer. It was probably one of the best beers we've made out of this site here at Footscray. So when it came through to Mornington, it's a little bit more refined. It's not as it's not as overt, um, but I think it it comes through quite quite well. Um, as things sort of change, and even most of us sort of had this beer out of the fridge, I guess half an hour ago, or maybe even more. How does it change in the glass and? Do you have a particular point where you like to drink it? Is it like when the can is freshly opened or do you like it after it's been open and mellowing for an hour or so? I mean, different people have quite different opinions on beers like this as they as they open up. Yeah, I generally always prefer to have the um, get the can out of the fridge and or the beer out of the fridge and pour it into a glass and leave it for half an hour or so, um, particularly with stouts, big stouts, imperial stouts barrel aged beers i think it always works better over time and the beers kind of open up a little bit more a little bit more malt characteristic comes through um the things like the salinity and the saltiness also comes through with a bit of warmth so 
Yeah, I always generally recommend to let stouts, dark beers um, always warm up. And, you know, when it's so cold outside, it's, it's actually <laughs> quite good. Um, and I guess sort of, you know, following on from that, with all the sort of flavours that we're describing, um, do, you, do you just have the confidence or when this brew was first made, um, do you think there were many sort of trial batches run? This is one of the things that, you know, we've got lots of home brewers who listen to the podcast. The idea of adding all of these such different flavours scares the bejesus out of us. Um, would you have the confidence just to write a recipe and go full bore at a big tank on this or? Yeah. Yeah. So here previously um, we had 1500 litre batches to, to, to play around with. So these were our test batches and stuff. And yeah, it's definitely no, you know, certain amount of oysters per litre that I'd recommend adding. Um <laughs> We have the, you know, we have the ability of if something's a bit too hectic, we might actually brew another beer in behind it and blend it back. Um, but this, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of right. We had Eli's guidance, like, because he he brewed it many times before, so he kind of understood the amount and what would work, and and then we could, we have the ability to adjust on, on the fly as well. Um, generally, with most of the beers that we do, we. A lot of it's also experience as well. Like we've, you know, been brewing for a long time. So yeah. we kind of understand, you know, what percentage of, you know, um, X, you know, X malt will do this and what percentage of uh, Y hops will do that. So we generally have a pretty good understanding of how it's going to work. But we do work with these beers. There is an element of, of um, uh, I don't know, just an element of, Whatever. So what if it happens, see what happens. We'll make it work, you know. Yeah. Like, if, if we're never afraid to dump a batch of beer. I think um, for us, is you know, we've got to be really, really confident when it goes to market. It's going to be, it's going to represent the brand values and 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 the quality that we, you know, we strive to be. And people generally, you know, think Hop Nation beers are good. So, yeah, if it's not. If it's subpar, we'll, we will dump it. That's fine. You know, we don't have any qualms with doing that. And, and that's sort of, you've, you've almost answered the question I'm about to ask already, but for some breweries that have their own tap rooms, it becomes a, oh, here's an experimental thing over here on tap 12 or tap 16. Um, if you weren't happy with how this beer had worked, I presume what you're saying is that there is no sort of equivalent of tap 16 at Hop Nation. Um, it's... There are, even within sort of core range and limiteds, there's not a come out to the come out to the brewery and you'll see what we've been mucking around with this week kind of thing. Yeah, no, we've had to dump batches of pale ale as well. You know, that's you know got missed you know at a certain point and it got chilled too quickly and had diacetyl and you know that's that's potentially fifty kegs that might go out and that's potentially fifty customers that will never buy a beer again. Um, it's really important. Like, I mean, yes, the raw materials are, are expensive, but um, it's also that, you know, you're not paying excise as well. But once the beer leaves the brewery, then you're paying excise on it, and that's when the beer price jacks up. But um, it's, you know, we, we have a really, really this like stringent rule of that. If, if, if it's not right, it's not worth it. And But we also, on the other hand, it's like, okay, well, then, we need to make sure that we're rectifying any issues that 
coming in the future, what can we do better? How could, you know, can we do more research into what we're doing? Um, you know, we're, we're doing that constantly on new products and things like that, but we've always got to make sure we're happy with it before it goes to market. I get sort of the last of my questions around this sort of beer and soon we're going to move into the questions from the room. So uh, make sure you, you type them into the, uh, into the uh, chat feature that we have here in the zoom, but um, there's three hops in here. And as a bloke who's been a part of a podcast about beer that's gone on for 90 odd episodes, we can't remember exactly how many, there are three hops in here that I'm not that familiar with. Um, couldn't you just give us a little bit of a rundown on on those hops, where they come from, and you know, not all of them manifest themselves in a really striking way when you taste the beer. But if there's things in the beer that you know you think our listeners should be experiencing, yeah. So the hops in the um, Jawbone are uh, Willamette, Atanum, and uh, Laurel. Um, Willamette's just is kind of like they're all American. Um, Willamette's to basically uh, Fuggle sort of um, in the same family as Fuggles. So you're thinking spicy, noble hop character. Same goes with the Tarnum. It's, it's quite used quite frequently with a lot of West Coast um, IPAs. gives a little spice, gives a little woody character. Um, and then Laurel also likes talking about it before. It's a bit of a cedary kind of lemony, fruity kind of characteristic. Um, using these hops, hops in stouts, and porters and dark beers. I personally like high hopping rates. I want a bit of freshness. I want to I want to taste hops when I'm having a dark beer fresh, and then letting the hops sort of subside, and letting the malt and the sort of oxidative characters coming through later. And this one is more of a. It's it's not super present. We did add actually quite a lot in in the boil and the whirlpool, um, but it's. It's mainly as just a, a sort of a little bit of a backing, a bit of undertones, a bit of spicy characteristic because there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of different flavours and you wouldn't be throwing um, citra or mosaic or real expressive hops at it, but you can, because there is so much going on there, you can actually add quite amount and then just have sort of more subtle um, hop characteristics coming through so things with the hops I mean you can nerd out forever um, about the hop bridles and there's there's tons of them out there um, I guess it's just another thing we're just what, using what we know um, I generally outside of sort of the Rathund and the like traditional Pilsner styles that we do I generally prefer to use American hops um, and New Zealand hops. I think New Zealand hops are really, really quite amazing. Um, but these American hops are pretty familiar with, so they're the ones that we went with. I've probably got one more question before we open things up to the Zoom room, and there's a couple of great questions already lining up. And, I, you know, this is the... We haven't... You know, we're in the middle of Melbourne lockdown six. Things have been a bit grim lately, but um, spring and summer and things are around the corner. Um, whether yourself or Basil, tell us a bit of the things that you're excited about and what you're looking forward to in the future. You touched at the very beginning on the spirits and things like that, but, you know, what's exciting about being part of the industry at the moment? Uh, it's awesome, actually. We've got a lot. As lockdown has been, I've, just, I've also just come out of um, 
a week household quarantine with a um, 10 month old. Um, oh, so I'm actually happy move. to be out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we've actually been, we've sort of been really like working hard on R&D and uh, working on some new beers. Uh, we're really happy with the last few releases that we've had, um, the better distractions and the synchronicity. Um, we've also got some new beers coming out. They'll be pretty soon with some new hopping um, techniques. Everyone's probably, well, some people might've heard of dip hopping and cold IPAs from other, other breweries out there. Um, we're also doing R&D at the moment with low alcohol. Um, it's really, really challenging. It's really, really hard. Um, technically, it's kind of like not brewing, but also brewing at the same time. And so many technical and so many obstacles in making a low alcohol beer um, without, you know, we don't have reverse osmosis and we don't have huge um, massive million dollar machinery to be able to pump out 0% beer. So doing it and doing it in the hot nation way is, is been challenging. I think we're pretty close. Um, we also have, oh, we've got a few fruited big ABV sours or fruited sours and stuff coming out as well. Um, everyone will be happy to know that we've got 15,000 litres of Rattenhund in tank at the moment. Um, so, yes, <laughs> they, they yeah, will be collective, happy to know Collective, that, collective thumbs up there. Um, so, yes, that I mean, it's, it's a beer that takes three months to make. So um, we will try and dedicate a significant amount of tank space to be able to have it readily available. But given... Um, the thirst of people out there it's um it's it probably come and go come and go but we would want to try really really want to try and get ahead of it um and make sure that it's it's out there all the time um our south uh, site uh, fermentation series our mixed fermentation beers we've during the process of moving from the site um we've we've got about 150 barrels that have been um needing a bit of attention, a bit of love, a bit of care, and I'll show everyone what how it's looking at the moment. But um, we're really, really going to have a big push on our site fermentation series and experimenting there. Um, this year's wines are coming out. They're pretty not too far away. Um, we're super stoked with how they're coming out. Our Syrah has just won um, Best Syrah in Australia, the Young Guns of Wine, and Seltzer. Seltzer's kicking off like crazy. Yes, Ray. Um, yeah, if we've got four flavours of that now, we'll also be doing, a, um, a, we'll be introducing a different series of Rays as well. We'll keep that on the down low. Um, and then also we've, yeah, we're increasing our capacities, um, our capacity at Mornington as well. So we've got another, um, another 30,000 litres of um, tank space to come down there and, yeah, so we're we're taking the opportunity to kind of really nail some new crazy fun things, and then um, hopefully once we things start opening up again, we can really ramp up production and and, and meet everyone's needs. Yeah, mate, that's an awesome answer. I think you've whetted our appetites for all things Hop Nation. For the next weeks, months, gee, we're almost starting to look into uh, into autumn next year in a moment. Um, 
We're going to let a few of the people in the Zoom room ask their questions on mic. This is one of our favourite bits of the night. We, uh, For those who are listening to the podcast or joining us in the Zoom room for the first time, uh, we really value the opportunity to have people um, be able to ask these questions direct to the brewer. I've got four lined up at the moment uh, and two demos, which is going to make things even more confusing out of all of that. But um, Jay, are you in there and are you able to unmute yourself and can you kick yourself off uh, with asking your question? And we'll try and move through these pretty quickly and then um, move towards wrapping things up because you guys have been so generous with your time tonight. I am. And thank you for your time. Thank you for your time, Pop Nation guys. I uh, just got a question regarding a, a recent beer you released, Synchronicity. It's a bang, it's an awesome beer. Um, on the can, it's an it's a ten percent ABV, and it's on the label. It says it's a double. Is that is that is that a misprint? Did it did you brew it or did the label come out first and it was meant to be a triple? Because ten percent isn't that isn't that class as a bit of a triple area? Uh well, uh, I mean, it was always the plan was to do 10%. I guess the semantics of the double and the triple thing probably <laughs> went past us, to be honest. I, um, yeah, I mean, we generally, well, I mean, what's triple, what's quadruple? I, I, you know, this, this, the lines blur between 0.5 to, you know, 1% of alcohol. Like, um, no, it wasn't a mistake. It definitely was 10% beer. Um, but okay. yeah, I, I mean, I'm not really, um, I don't really know all the styles and stuff stuff to say. Like, I mean, at what point does it become triple? At what point does a beer get? There's always um, dry hopped and Dawn stuff like that. Well. Yeah. Always branded Dawn as 9% as well. So um, we, I don't think we really delve into that triple kind of bracket. Like, okay. Like, like Paul was saying, it's it's not really a classified kind of bracket that people really play in. It's more of like a marketing kind of side of thing. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Can I ask, perhaps, just as a follow up to that before we move on to the next question? I mean, for some people, and I'm probably one of the, you know, the, the classifications are really important. And for other people, we've had other brewers on in the past who go, no, I just want to brew the beer and then I'll call it whatever it sort of, you know, will make it, you know, acceptable to people. How important are those sort of style guides to you guys? And I guess particularly with that sort of winemaking influence on the, on the brand, how much do you like to sort of play with the edges of those things and, you know, cause a bit of trouble? Uh, not too much. I don't really want to. Don't think too hard about things like that. It's, I mean, all the time we get asked about pilsner and lager and you know pilsner and pilsner and stuff like that. And I, I guess you know, or you know, hazy or neeper and all the different classifications, or even cold IPA and IPL. You know, there's a bit of conjecture about that. Um, I guess it's more just kind of just telling people what it is. You know, this is a you know the style. When we enter a beer into the beer awards, um, we we do kind of blur outside of a lot of style guidelines, but I think also they're kind of widening, broadening their um, terminology a little bit more as well. So I think it's I think definitely in different style categories, and there needs to be some clarification between what's actually happening, but. 
I think it's on to the, it's the onus of the brewery to actually to, to tell them what is exactly is the outcome of the beer. Like I know um, uh, what was the brewery in the States? Like they, they don't actually, you know, they don't actually say it's a, a beer hopped with, you know, mosaic and citra. They just say, this is the beer in, you know, with citrus and melon characteristics. Mm. You know, that's, that's what people are willing to expect. They don't care about, um, you know, what, what, you know, the attenuating gravity of it is, you know, what, what Plato does it finish at? It's just, it's okay. What, what, what are the outcomes and what's the characteristics and that's fine enough. And I think um, it's easy to get hung up on it a little bit from time to time, but they, they are important too. That is the most diplomatic answer to that question. I think I've ever heard, brother. but you're, <laughs> but you're right. You actually hit a lot of important points there. Um, Demo number one, I think I've had, uh, unmuted you, so that should make it obvious who's demo number one. Yeah, I'm just wondering if you've ever thought of or considered making an Imperial Jedi juice, because we haven't seen one yet. And, and I'm going to tag onto that one of the good questions that we had on the uh, Instagram uh, feed during the week when we asked for questions. Make sure you follow the Cool Room podcast on Instagram, which is, what chance of an Imperial Red? So let's talk Imperials. Yes, um, I well, initially synchronicity. I wanted to be eleven percent chop. Um, that kind of scurried down pretty quickly. Um, Imperial beers, yeah. I mean, we're kind of always for it. Maybe, maybe in an anniversary or something, that'd be really kind of apt. Um, you know, like yeah, ten percent, ten percent Jedi juice or something that we could. Um, do keg only to get the tap badges and stuff into venues without getting in trouble. Um, Imperial Reds, I always love. It's one of my um, all-time favourite beers. Is um, I've seen this late front breweries with fixed gear. Um, it's like an Imperial Red Ale. I love this really high floral, super bitter um, American Reds. So I guess it's just um, yeah. I mean. We're pretty keen. We never uh, commit to something fully, but um, there's no there's no beer that we're not kind of not really keen to do. And with the advent of a lot of new hop styles and stuff, so a lot of cryo um, hops and really um, expressive new world kind of techniques and hopping regimes and stuff that we've been fiddling around with would really actually go well with a with a with a red ale. It's um a great answer you've you've touched on and excited people without giving them too much anything <laughs> Abbas, do you want to add anything to that one have you got insights into what we can be expecting down the line that you know might get you know yeah i mean paul's pretty much covered like most of the stuff we've kind of got coming up i mean i think probably one of the most exciting things for like the hop nation kind of portfolio coming up would be the spirits I mean, it's not just going to be like your basic spirits. It, uh, I think Duncan's um, pretty keen on making a whole array of different spirits. So I think he's he's got Calvados on, on his mind. He's got whiskey. He's got gin. He's got rum. I think the band's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's so much to play with there. So, so much. Um, yeah. We've got at least two questions from the Zoom room left. Thank you to everyone who's indulged uh, our long conversation tonight. Aussie beer lover sitting there at the MCG. Well, 
little while ago since we had that many people there, but um, I wish we're looking forward to uh, to seeing what happens um, this weekend between um, the Bombers and um, Shana's uh, doggies there. Um, but um, a long time drinker, first time caller here. Um, <laughs> just wanted to um, just wanted to um, ask a question. Um, I've asked um, Sam and dunk many many questions uh, at the tap room but just wanted to wanted to ask um because they've got um got their feet um put firmly in both um both camps there beer and wine obviously um is there any any um any plans at all for a uh, a beer wine hybrid i've seen it in the states i've seen it in canada as well i'm just wondering if you guys have got uh, any kind of um inklings um whether they'd be uh, going down that weird sort of track at all thanks We've um we've definitely delved in the past with um like co-ferments uh in different like uh, we've done a pilsner and wine co-ferment uh, before in the past like very early on um we've actually got a site fermentation beer in tank in Footscray at the moment which is a um Shiraz skin aged sour beer. So that is coming up as well. But, um, like, the boys definitely work closely on both fronts. And, I mean, Paul is has obviously he's come from the brewing side of things, but he has been definitely pulled heavily into the wine side of things as well. So I'm, I'm sure he can elaborate on some of the things they've been doing down in Mornington. But it, there's definitely a crossover for sure, and, and it, it won't go away. Yeah, we... um. Well, previously in a prior to Hop Nation, we um, at Mornington we did a couple of beers, the Vin Ales, if you remember them. We, we used Montalto, um, Pinot Noir, and a brown ale, um, and then we used some Chardonnay in a in a blonde, and they were um, co-ferments that were that were good. They sort of like worked to varying degrees. I think in clean beer, um, sometimes it's a bit of a waste of the wine juice. Um, but I think in sour beer, it um, it has far more complexity. Uh, we've you would have seen our like our site series from previous years using Gewurz, Riesling, um, Malbec, and um, what did we also use Pinot Gris skins, I believe. Um, and we've done that two years successfully, and they they were really really interesting. They were really cool. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm I'm yet to be convinced by co-ferment beers per se. Um, I think they're they're kind of there is a lot of work. I think yeast and the two could like uh, conflicting yeasts, um, sort of like carbonic maceration and wild yeast and stuff like that in conjunction with sac uh, can be a little bit funky um, and can go off the rails pretty quickly. Uh, I think it you yeah probably better off working in a sour beer environment for that. Um, but I mean, hell, why not? If we go. Have you, have you guys thought about um, hopping a wine and yeah, I suppose that's it. I have, but I'm just wondering if anyone else has. <laughs> um, no, we haven't, we haven't tried it. I'm, I'm super, uh, the guy, there's a, um, so Tar Barrels, um, the old Mornington Peninsula brewery, like the brew pub where they start and they're putting a little mm. still in there and they, they'd been playing around with um, hop gins. And oh, yeah. it was, they actually had really, really, really cool results. Like Simcoe was crazy piney and the Nelson had that typical like gooseberry kind of sablon characteristic. And it, 
it was really interesting, but uh, with wine, I'm not familiar with. No, sorry. Before Warren asks his next question, we're about to move. I can just feel us sliding off into this bit quite legitimately where we get to enjoy the post-recording session where we get to sit around and have a great yarn. Um, It's been awesome from my perspective tonight to have so many people in the room and uh, we always know that translates to huge numbers of people listening in on the podcast. Um, Demo number two, I'm going to get you to unmute in a second. I'm going to say my thanks to Paul and Baz, not just for the time you've spent tonight, but to making tonight happen. It's been a bit of an effort over the last uh, week or two. To all the delivery gnomes who've been out there making sure that beers have gotten to people in times, a big thank you to you. And um, I really hope that if it's the first time in the cool room for all of you tonight, that you make an effort to come back and join us on Saturday night for trivia for next Thursday night with Deeds and and follow us on the social medias to be part of the journey from here. Uh, Demo number two, can I throw to you? And then, Travis, you're going to bring us home if we can get Demo number two to unmute and ask his excellent question about Baltic Porter. Hey, Paul. Fancy seeing you here. Um, Just a quick question. Like You're talking about you're doing a lot of stuff with lagers and getting more fermentation space. Any plans to bring that lager knowledge back into using like something like a Baltic Porter or finishing more styles with a lager to get that bit of a cleaner finish? Uh, yes, perhaps. I'm not sure. Demo, he's, this is um, Demo's in, encroaching again, our staff <laughs> member Demo. Um, he's telling us what he wants us to make. <laughs> um, I actually, yeah, I, yeah, dark, dark lagers or... Um, they never really, they've never really taken off. I, I, I remember we made one um, about oh, oh, a few years ago with Mornington and we were, we were super happy with this. We thought this is going to go nuts. Like, this is amazing. And it never really did. I think we're not quite there yet, to be honest. So I, I, yeah, I, it's hard to say. It's, you know, yeah, then like in the chat, you know, Dunkles and Doppelbox and Urbox and I even oh, I mean I want to make a Ralph beer you know there's, there's so many different options and there's so many beautiful different um, styles that I don't think they're quite they're not really commercially viable as yet unfortunately there you go it looks like Damo got his answer <laughs> amazing yeah um Guys, like like David said, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up recording proceedings here. Um, the forty odd people that are still in the Zoom room, you can stick around and and drink some beers afterwards and try the rest of the pack if you've got the pack. Uh, but before we do that, um, Paul, do you want to give us? Or actually, this is probably more a Baz question. Who I feel has just been sitting in the background waiting for this question to come damn, up. Damn right. Um, Baz, give us give us all the Hop Nation socials. Where do people find you? How do they get in touch? Uh, we've got a few things. So obviously, we've got Instagram. Um, we've got our Facebook page. You can always get in touch. You can order any of our beers uh, on our online store as well. Excuse me, my dog is just attacking me right now. Go away. <laughs> That's um, right. Something's happening there. That's for certain. <laughs> we had we had birds on last week. So dogs, yeah. birds. It's 
Yeah, St. Bernard is kind of like a tiny horse, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, you can order any of our beers on our online store. We do uh, free shipping over $50 in Victoria uh, and then flat rate shipping uh, nationally. And then we've, if you want to check out some of our kind of hospitality side, we've got the once it's open, uh, we've got the Footscray site where you can come in and have a beer. We've got Zymergy in West Footscray, which is our kind of a restaurant that we have teamed up with Julian from um, Navi. Uh, and hopefully soon we'll have a little takeaway outlet in uh, Mornington. Another scoop. Oh, we like Another scoops. Scoop That's awesome. Yeah. Um, everyone, make sure you check out the Cool Room socials as well. We'll have this episode up. Uh, pretty soon and we'll have all the hop nation socials in the show notes um, on where you can find them we've got our trivia night coming up this saturday uh, whether or not i can get this episode out in time so it actually makes sense for us to mention the trivia night is another thing i, I feel like it's going to be a really good night um there's a few melbourne in, melbourne supporters coming along to trivia so that could be interesting <laughs> we'll, we'll see how we go there. there's a few in the zoom room tonight as well um, next week to round out the end of August, we've got deeds on. We haven't had deeds on for a while, but uh, this is going to be a really, really good night. Last time we had deeds on, I think they hold the record of having the most people in the Zoom room. So we'll oh, see yeah, if we can right. uh, we can top that again. Hopefully, um, it it, uh, it will be a great night. As David mentioned earlier tonight, we've got the Oktoberfest event planned. I didn't say a- that. I said no such thing. I never Did used you? that word. Oh, no, I, I just, just said international guests and um, it was going to be in October. Well, there you go. I'm going to edit that out anyway. So uh, um, leave it in. Keep your, uh, keep your eyes peeled on the social medias for all that as Fight well. <laughs> I might leave that part of it in just so uh, and enhance the audio. The joke makes that. sense. Um, into September, we're going to have some pretty cool things happening as well. Um, and then into October, hopefully we get out of lockdown soon and we can start uh, doing things in person and see all your lovely faces. Um, Paul, Baz, thank you very much for joining us tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, You guys are awesome. Hopefully we can get back into the tap room soon. Yeah, fingers crossed. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Hub Nation.